when it comes to running a business, like you can, you, the metrics are pretty simple, right? Did, did we grow our bottom line in in any kind of nonprofit, but especially in like church work? How do you know you're doing a good job? Is just doing it enough? Are we evaluating how good the music is? Are we evaluating people's hearts somehow? And what are the things that we look to? Is it the butts and seats? And probably more importantly, what are we even trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish when we gather for worship? What what would make a worship time good or bad? God liked it? How do you know? Welcome back to the Southridge Worship Leaders Podcast. This is episode three, and you know what they say, good things come in threes, and I'm not quite sure whether I've perhaps set your expectations too high now that I've said that, and I'm really hoping this episode delivers, but I think it will, because I had a great time talking about this one. How in the world, as worship leaders, are we supposed to know whether or not we're even doing a good job? Whether you're brand new to worship leading or whether you've been doing this for years or even decades, this is a very valuable conversation, which I think will help us to know whether or not we are winning at what we do. Pour yourself a coffee or a tea, or if you don't drink hot drinks, um, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to have a really hard time relating to you. But that's maybe just growth that needs to happen in my life. So pour yourself a cold drink and settle in for what I think is an excellent and helpful conversation. Here we go. I wanted to start just by recalling a story that has stuck out to me for for years. I remember coming off stage one Sunday and a good friend of mine kind of caught me and said, hey, hey, like worship was was good, but it could have been better. And I kind of like laughed to myself, perhaps a little too honest, but but it it it's always stuck with me. When you've gone through the motions, you've prepared the songs, you've chosen your keys, you've prepared your band members, you've gone through a rehearsal, then you've actually gone through the service and you've people have have sang alongside the songs that you've chosen and and you've led them, you've prayed and read scripture perhaps, but you kind of get off stage and you're like, that was either good or bad. And we often evaluate ourselves and we evaluate our teams and we evaluate what it felt like in the room. But at the end of the day, we're kind of left with this question of like, how do we know if we actually yeah. delivered on what we were trying to do or not? And I think that that's something, that's a feeling that a lot of people can relate to, especially in a in a rule that often requires us to be so vulnerable and kind of like getting up on stage and spilling our guts and singing off key and making mistakes. And, and then people evaluate the worship as good or bad. And yeah, what are they evaluating? Like you didn't pick my favorite songs. Yeah. You're, you were flat. Uh, I didn't feel it today. Or you even get the person who comes to our church and, and, or, or or to any church really, and and you say, oh, like you know, kind of what brought you here? And they said, oh, I, I heard the worship was great. It's like, <laughs> what what does that mean? Like, are people mm-hmm. worshiping better than they are at other churches? Are we better at putting on a show than other churches? Um, do mm-hmm. we make less mistakes? Um, yeah. So that's the question I want to drill into the into today is how do we how do we evaluate what we do on Sundays? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a huge question, and I think we often 
when it comes to running a business, like you can, you, the metrics are pretty simple, right? Did, did we grow our bottom line? Mm. Did we add another couple of franchises? Did we blah, blah, blah? In, in any kind of nonprofit, but especially in like church work, how do you know? And I mean, I sh- I'm sure some people might even ask, does it matter? But I, I think, how, how do you know if you're doing a good job? Mm. Is just doing it enough? Are we evaluating how good the music is? Are we evaluating people's hearts somehow? And what are the things that we look to? Is it the butts and seats and the, the you know, dollars in the, in the offering bag? Or, right. you, know, how, you know, how do you, how do you even know this kind of stuff? And probably more importantly, or, or maybe just a step back is, what are we even trying to do? Mm-hmm. That, it, that's really, I guess, the underlying question is, what are we trying to accomplish when we gather for worship? W- what, what would make a worship time good or bad? God liked it. How do you know? And so uh, I think that we often settle for some, some easy metrics, but they're not always good ones or the right ones. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think even as volunteer worship leaders or even as those of us who do this for a living, like we design something, we implement it. If we implemented it according to the cue sheet, that was good. Right. But that can often actually be a somewhat spiritless or lifeless endeavor. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of the things that we talk about a lot and think have thought about a lot over the years is how what are we actually trying to do and how do we how do we do it well? Yeah. Yeah, we even began to feel the exhaustion of that question. I'm just gonna say that again because I said I said exhaustion weird. But we've even begun to feel the exhaustion of that question in our in our Tuesday morning debriefs of Sunday service, where it became pretty common to ask, Oh, how did Sunday go? And right. That's such an open-ended question. Good, I think. Yeah. Or okay. or bad. You know, it's so easy to divulge in so many directions. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that transition, that was great. Um, let's talk about why that worked and how we could do that more. Or, hey, like... Right, and then you step back and ask, like, are we a transition factor? Right. Or is that is that the widget we crank yeah. out? And if we did good transitions, then we were good? Yeah. Or, hey, that that was an awesome video that, that we we were able to put together. Or, or to go the other way to say like, ah, that song wasn't really great. Um, you know, then we get into this conversation about whether or not we should have that song in our rotation. And, but then all the while, no matter what direction we're heading, are we actually answering an effective question in right, the first right, place? Right. It's a, uh, there's an old U2 song that said that we thought that we had the answers, but it was the questions we had wrong. And uh, I th- that's how, that always sticks out to me. I think we, we've been trying to get to the point where we ask better questions. So sometimes we ask, you know, questions of feedback, like, did anyone provide any feedback? Did we hear anything from people? Yeah, they liked it. Well, what does they liked it mean? Or it's hard to get, it's hard to ask good enough questions to get answers that actually matter. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, so what if we have week after week where we end up going... You know, we eliminate like we eliminated all distractions. We did everything great. It's like, but but where where does that get us? Are we just trying to become mm-hmm. great at everything, or are we actually trying to lead people somewhere? Because I think there mm-hmm. there's a difference between between those two things, and 
that's why we've begun to try and be a little bit more strategic about what we're actually trying to do or better better yet where we're trying to lead people on a sunday do you want to talk talk a little bit about that what's the way that we've been we've been talking about that yeah we've over the last little while a couple of years maybe we've we've introduced the language of a worship goal as trying to actually have a goal that we're trying to hit that we can actually uh then get meaningful feedback about this actually emerged out of a very unrelated to church conversation, I was hanging out with uh, a former worship leader uh, at our Welland location, Isaac Hannigan. A bunch of you might know him. He and his family attended our church for years and was a worship leader for a while. And he's also a school teacher in a pretty unique school environment. And I was chatting with him at one point, and I think we were just catching up because he'd been sick or something. And he was talking about supply, supply teacher. And and I, I just had asked him a question, like, how do you, how does the supply teacher thing work? How, what, how much work do you have to put in to get a supply teacher to do what you want them to do? And it seemed like just a, an innocent kind of curious question, but it led to something that has been profound for me. He said, what I do is I create a teaching goal. I don't write a script for them to say so that they say and do all the things that I would say and do. I just Give them a teaching goal. Here is the objective you've got to hit. I don't care how you get there, but by the end of class, these kids need to know this. And that language of teaching goal just struck a chord with me. And that's where we eventually developed the language of a worship goal. Um, because often, even as we've had conversations equipping volunteer worship leaders to say, what are we, what's the actual objective here? It can often be sing this song, then sing this song, then say a prayer you know, maybe read a scripture, then sing this song. And it's just a, here's what you're going to do. But that, not only is that not overly compelling, it actually, it's about as compelling, I think, as a substitute teacher would be reading a script written by somebody else. Right. So we've tried to lean into this idea of a worship goal. And I think that it probably, it probably, some of you may have heard of a guy named Simon Sinek who talks about having a white hot why, like find your why. And he, you know, he's uh, does a good job of articulating the importance of being led not by what's but why's. And I think a lot of times when we get up as a worship leader, we can easily default to what we're going to do. Okay, I'd like you to stand and let's really belt this out. That's what we're going to do. Um, or even like, let's really engage and clap our hands and lift our hands up. And we, we sort of lead with what. Mm. But it's so much more compelling when you can lead with why. Like, why do we want to stand and sing and lift our hands and clap our hands? Well, because God is so good. And, you know, we here have been so caught up in the goodness and love and mercy and grace of God that that just simple stand and sing isn't good enough for us. We want to respond with a whole body experience because we've encountered something profound and powerful mm -hmm. in God that we just got to respond to. Mm -hmm. And that kind of a why is so much more compelling yeah. than just a what. And so our, our worship goals are really about tapping into the why are we here today? Mm -hmm. Why are, what's the why of this worship time? Yeah, no, that's good. And by only focusing on the what, you've actually prescribed the response to something you might not even be aware of. Like you might not even mm -hmm. know what you're responding to. Great. So you got people to engage with a song, but not only do they not know why they're doing that. And so 
that can easily tip into some sort of like legalistic religiosity. Well, this is what we do at mm-hmm. church, so I'm just going to do this. But you've also eliminated any type of organic response that someone might have to the declaration that, you know, because God is a God who forgives us, like, well, what is your response to that? Well, I've already told you exactly what you're going to do, and you're not even going to know why you're doing it, rather than you are in relationship with God. And so if we start with the why, I'm going to give you an option for how you can choose to respond to that, but you also are able to participate that in a much more relational manner rather than something that just seems transactional. Absolutely. So what exactly is a worship goal? I really want to drill into how we go about developing them. What do they, what do they look like? What do they consist of? What's that process even like? Right. So, so, I mean, for starters, when we talk about worship, one, one simple basic foundational way that we talk about worship is we think of it as an experience of revelation and response. It's sort of that hand in hand. It's like breathing, inhale, exhale. I, I breathe in, I inhale, I, a, a revelation of God, who God is, uh, and what God has done. And then I exhale, I respond with some kind of action in response to this revelation that I've received. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you, if you think about worship in that way, we're going to gather together, we're going, we're going to uh, allow ourselves, to, we're going to invite a revelation from God mm-hmm. that we're then going to respond to. Um, and both of those are actually critically important, although sometimes the weighting of them can be different in a given service. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it this way, revelate, if we have only revelation without response, it's kind of just like dead theology. We're going to acknowledge who God is, but not doing anything about it. It kind of reminds me about how uh, in James, it talks about how even the even the demons believe uh, and shudder, but like they don't follow. Yes. Um, or like this whole idea that you can have faith, this hypothetical nebulous faith, but if you don't have works, if you don't do anything about it, it's just dead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's kind of revelation without response. But response without revelation is equally dead. It's just dead works, like you were describing. Like it's just doing something prescribed for me to do that isn't actually connected to an experience of God. If you think about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, uh, Jesus talks about how, in, you know, in that day there's going to be all these people who say, Lord, we did all these things in your name, we prophesied, we healed, blah, blah, blah. We, di- we did all these response-type works. Mm-hmm. But he says, you never knew me. Your, your works weren't anchored in in a connection to me, in a revelation from me, in a in a relationship. And so we don't want to have revelation without response. We don't want to have response without revelation. We want to have these both. Um, you know, and so when we dis- when we actually make a worship goal, we 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 actually script these pretty pretty much for every Sunday. Um we sort of do a because God is, we will, you know, because God is X, we will Y. Mm-hmm. So some examples would be, you know, like, because God has been good to us, because God is good, we will be grateful. And that's very different than saying, okay, we're going to do a practice of count your blessings. Right. And we're going to just be grateful. Well, being grateful is what you were talking about. It said this rote response with no revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we start by acknowledging, let's, let's take a look at who God is, and let's take a look at how we've experienced God's goodness, and then our response is to practice gratitude mm-hmm. or because god is a god of grace or god has forgiven us we're now going to forgive mm-hmm. others the revelation is god's grace and forgiveness towards us the response is now we're actually going to extend that to others or because god is faithful we will trust yeah. 
God more yeah. because God invites honesty in worship. We will lament. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't just get up and lament. Just lamenting without a revelation would just be complaining. Yeah. But anchoring it in a revelation of God's invitation to come with, with our our reality, with our honesty, with our emotions, with our experience, anchoring it in a revelation then gives us that freedom to respond now in a in a lament. So that would be the way we think about it. Because of who God is, because of what God's done, that's the revelation side. Um then we're going to do these things. And so then the, we basically, we once we have that, we attach different uh, elements to those things. What's going to do this revelation? Is it going to be a reading from scripture? Is it going to be a prayer? Is it going to be songs? Is it going to be a video about, you know, the expansiveness of God's creation? How are we going to do this revelation mm-hmm. portion? And then what's the response going to be? And there's usually going to be songs or prayers or spiritual practices that are involved in that. And that's sort of how we think about the front end of our service is a a complete package of revelation and response mm-hmm. with a specific worship goal. Yeah. No, and 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 I think it's really good um even just on on a personal level, but but certainly what we do when we gather to recognize that God is always speaking first, that everything that we do, good or bad, is always a response to to what God has done first. Um and so it kind of being able to name that and shape that and give that words and 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 just be a little more intentional about recognizing it, I think um, keeps us from this idea that somehow when we gather and when we sing, like we're, we're doing it all to work towards evoking a response from God. Like we're not, God isn't ours to control and to demand things of and say, well, if we can just sing loud enough, if we can just worship hard enough, then God will do this. God will show up. No, God already is here. God has already spoken first. And everything that we do is a lived response to that word. It's it's so such a great comment. It is so like that is what I mean, that's what we do as Christians, it's what churches have done, that's what you know, you see all around the world in different religions or like, yeah, we're going to do, we're going to do all this stuff to, to appease the God's mm-hmm. anchors or to get God to show up. Actually, the original purpose of the Olympics was, was exactly that. We're going to, in ancient Athens, they, they gathered all the best of humanity thinking if we can show the very best of ourselves, gods, the gods might actually come to watch and just by their very presence, we'll get rain for our crops and we'll blah, 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 blah. That that actually we we bring that so much into how we think about worship when it's exactly the opposite. God already has revealed mm-hmm. so much of God's self, and I like to think about it sometimes as you know when you're when you go to the doctor and they do a reflex test test, you know the revelation is of God is like the doctor tapping your knee mm-hmm. with that little hammer. Right. The knee kick is the worship. We're not we're not here banging hammers to try to make God's knee flap. No. We are exposing ourselves to the tiny hammer of God's revelation and worship is what comes naturally out of that. If that's not too ridiculous. No, that's great. I did not know that about the the Olympics though. That's new. Mm-hmm. It's easy. I think as we talk about this to potentially listen to this and be like, okay, like I get it. That's like all abstract, but how, like that doesn't really affect me. But, but when you think about this idea of, of our worship is 
all response to God. Our whole lived experience is, is response to God, but specifically our worshiping response to God. Like, what does it mean when we feel like God's absent? Like, does that mean that that we didn't do something right? Did we not pray hard enough when God doesn't doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't answer our prayers? Um, and and so, yeah, to me, this this is like such a critical part of not just like learning how to be a better worship leader or better worshiper, but actually just how to how to go through life better and how to how to recognize um and better understand the relationship that we have have to God. It actually strikes me as you say that that in some ways, though it may seem like a contradiction in terms, God's absence can actually be a revelation as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think about the story, I think it's in Ezekiel where God's presence actually leaves the temple. Mm. Well God's I mean, this gets confusing because God is of course omnipresent and everywhere, but in the way that we talk about God's presence moving, as God withdrew mm. from the temple, that was a revelation yeah. that was intended to evoke a response. Mm. Mm. Uh, so often when, when we feel God's absence, it's not about needing, wanting to do a bunch of things to get God to come back, so to speak. No. It's ridiculous as that kind of seems. May, maybe there is an actual revelation in, in God's absence that is also intended to evoke a a drawing near or a repentance or a, you know. So in one of your previous comments, you mentioned that this specifically relates to the front end of the service. And we kind of have like three parts to our service. We have kind of this opening time of, uh, you know, where we're singing, we're praying together, we're, we're, reading, we're, we're reading scripture. Uh, and then we move into a time of, of community life uh, where we just kind of spend some time figuring or hearing about and learning about what's happening in our community. And then we have this third uh, this third section, uh, which is normally taken up by the message, how does the worship goal relate to those three sections? It varies, but in many ways, one of the shifts over the years in our church is that we used to be far more message centric and message driven. It, it, you know, we would open the service by saying, "You've joined us on week three of, you know, whatever series we're doing," and Everything from the word go was about the sermon. And what we've recognized is, well, that there are strengths to that approach. Um, One of the weaknesses is that we never ended up doing things that weren't related to the message. And there are a lot of things that we don't preach on. Mm. Like, it's pretty rare that we preach on confessing our sins. Well, does that mean that we should never do it? Uh, It's rare that we preach on gratitude. Should we never stop and take time Mm -hmm. to be grateful? Um, and so we, we recognize the need to actually, uh, separate out that front end worship experience from the message series intentionally. The challenge then can be that we're sort of doing this like variety show of we're going to do 15 different things and you're going to have all these different, you, you know, where did we go? Well, we went on this, we went on safari today. We, you know, saw some elephants and some giraffes and some hippos, and we kind of just went all over the place and saw different things, but we didn't focus on a thing. And so we, we, while we separate it from the message, 
we don't um we don't ignore the message when we think about this of course so when we start our planning we have worship goals meetings we have service planning meetings uh, we have you know content development meetings where we design service you know sermons and series as we're thinking about all of this we still do start with the sermon because it's a huge rock in the jar mm-hmm. if you know that metaphor and it's always going to happen and it's going to take up a huge chunk of the service and it's going to be a huge part of what people focus on what they debrief in their life groups etc so we don't ignore it we start by saying and we we sort of have three ways of thinking about how the front end worship can relate to the sermon um well, we never want to start like pre-preaching the sermon is the language that we use by already responding to a message we haven't even heard yet. So we don't really tie the theme to it specifically, but there are times um, when the message is such that it feels like a front end that kind of amplifies. It kind of does mm-hmm. the same thing, but from a different perspective. And then it, our services will feel more like we just did one thing. So an example of this would be in one of our Exodus Uh, message series recently, the first week in the series, the whole point of the message was that God is greater than any of the gods of, of Egypt. Well, we looked at that and we thought that's, that's a worship text. Mm -hmm. So Krauss was going to go and talk about this in, in ways that were very different than how we want to focus on it. But we thought on the front end, we could just talk about all of the different ways that we look to different gods and, Mm -hmm. and, and how God is greater than anything else in our lives. And and it didn't feel pre-preachy. Mm-hmm. It, they felt like two separate and different things, but they were very related. So we, we, we the language we use is we talk about an amplifying worship goal where the front end is going to actually just amplify mm-hmm. uh, or in some ways what's going to happen later. Then there's sort of the, the, the contrast, or we would use the word complement, complementary worship mm-hmm. goal, where sometimes... This, this I think will make sense. Sometimes we actually feel like we need to compensate mm-hmm. on the front end for what's going to happen in the message. Yeah. So if we're going to do a, a sermon that's really like activistic and it's going to be telling you to go out and we've got to do these kinds of justice things, well, we want to make sure that we don't go too far in a service without acknowledging the grace of God and the fact that it's not about just what we do for God, but what God has done for us and that we're recipients of a, of a free grace. Mm-hmm. So we might say, okay, well, this is a real works heavy sermon. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a grace focused front end. Yeah. So, you know, that, that would be sort of a complementary approach to make sure that this, this whole experience feels still unified but it's actually unified by pairing, you know, like if you think about food pairings, uh, I once went to a winery where they were pairing wines with different cheeses. And sometimes they do these, here's like a really nutty, buttery wine with a buttery, nutty cheese, and they go together. But sometimes one of the most profound ones I had was, uh, I went somewhere where they paired blue cheese with, uh, I think it was like a uh, uh, dessert wine. What, what do they call it? Ice, ice wine. wine. I don't like ice wine. It's way too sweet. And then of course, blue cheese is super salty. Mm. But when you put them together, right. they like transform into something completely. So you actually get this synergy from opposites, not just from from something that's the same. And that's kind of what we think about in these complementary pairings. And then the third version would be there are times when we're just talking about something that really is going to just feel totally connected from worship. And so we just have a totally disconnected front end from the back end. And that's not just because we couldn't think of a better idea, 
the truth is, like I already mentioned, things like confessing our sins or um, different things that we would feel we need to do regularly in our rhythm spiritually that we're just not going to preach on a whole lot. It gives us more of a blank space to be able to lean into some of those things. And so we'll just say, you know what, these two halves are going to be totally disconnected, but we're going to do something that we need to do that that is just going to be you know, sort of, we're going to serve two courses today. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, even the language that we've tried to use a little bit is the idea of just a balanced diet approach. It kind of, Mm -hmm. it kind of keeps us from always tipping into one mode or one, one theme that we just always do when we sing, we're always singing about this or focusing on that or, but, but yeah, it allows us to diversify the scope of of things that contribute to Christian living over the course of a year, um, and trying to make sure that you know nothing significant is falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. I love the term pre-preaching. As a completely unrelated <laughs> aside, what was the term? I remember someone talking about the idea of like preaching and praying mixed together. Preaching, preaching, preaching. yeah, that's great. It's a it's a micro special, although. Although we all do it a little bit. It's sort of when you get to the end of your sermon and you say, let's pray. And then as you're praying, you realize, oh, shoot, I forgot something. And you quickly incorporate it into your prayer. Sometimes we're, we we stay in sermon mode while we're preaching. But I don't want to just pick up on, pick on Krauss. I, I, I can sometimes do this. Right. Just as much. Does it ever work? I'm, I'm making a point in prayer rather right. than talking to God or I was going to say it no. sounds like it could work where you come up after someone and kind of be like here's what right. here's what they meant to say <laughs> that's right but I'll disguise it in a prayer I got to get better at that <laughs> probably the one comment that I wanted to make was just in one of the ways that this actually directly impacts our worship leaders we often work from a song list and we try and manage that song list, but a perfect ex- example of of how this sometimes affects what we do is we're often pulling content, whether it's songs or videos, um, that maybe contributes specifically to what the worship goal is, even though it's not a part of what we're doing in the, in the broader rhythms. Um, so like I've often had conversations with worship leaders who, who are like, why does it feel like I'm learning a brand new song every time uh every time my turn on the rotation comes up and and I can totally empathize with the the difficulty of that um and you know in those conversations I don't always I I'm not always effective probably at articulating the compelling reason why we're actually trying to contribute to something larger um, and so to me, this is like a, a great long, long roundabout answer to, to why we often do things like that, which can maybe feel more random or, um, yeah, why are you suddenly serving <laughs> orange slices on my bacon and eggs? Well, because you're vitamin C deficient right. and we need something else. <laughs> That's right. You know, so when you said that, I thought you were referring to a spiritual practice we did one morning, and I was like, I don't remember doing that on a Sunday. <laughs> you were you were still talking in metaphor. The balanced diet, balanced diet. Cool. Well, we can get into the idea of a balanced diet. Um, when we started talking about this, I think one of my initial reactions was like, "Oh no!" Like, if it's like up up to me, 
as a contributing member of this team to like figure out how to nourish our church well. Like that just felt like such an overwhelming task to me because if to me, I'm like, if if we're all left at the mercy of like just the heads in the room and, and what we might decide to think of one week or not, yeah. um, that feels like a pretty scary place to be and a lot of responsibility. Um, and so we've been trying to figure out, well, how do we make sure that we're not just um, leading our church through the mercy of whatever the new flavor of the week in our lives is? How how are we managing that yeah. that process? Or even or even just you know, we're, our spiritual diet is going to be whatever's going on in the, in the hearts and minds of, of the, the Nashville CCLI music factory. Yeah. You know, these are, you know, where, where there's often a lot of the same thing. We're going to sing about God's love and his faithfulness and his grace. And that's what we're going to sing about. And those are obviously the bedrocks of our experience of God. And yet, do we get a lot of diversity out of that? So yeah, how do we not, how do we make sure that we're actually in part, part of this whole idea of, of uh, worship goals is about forcing ourselves to think about broadening the spiritual diet or the, or the ways that we're thinking about who God is, the revelation of God that we're emphasizing and the kinds of responses. Um, and so one of the things that we do very simply is, and this is a bit more recent, but uh, Justin, you worked on, and our team is working on creating actually a as, as maybe weird and and um, I don't know formalized as this might seem, li- listing as many of the names and characters and qualities of God that are revealed in Scripture that we possibly can, and then looking at them and grouping them and saying, as we begin to track our worship goals. Well, we do a lot of Sundays where we talk about the the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God. You know, what are the things that we're not looking at? Mm-hmm. What are the things we're not allowing God to reveal in our times? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, and then it forces us to to actually stretch ourselves to say, what if we emphasized something else? Mm-hmm. And so we've been doing that kind of work, and then on the on the response, and we do the we do the same thing. Uh, We've we've done with uh, our spiritual practice, Pastor Mandy Casper. We've tried to start taking inventory of the different kinds of spiritual practices, the kinds of responses. Like think about a Richard Foster spiritual disciplines book. Like how regularly, you know, we do a lot of singing and we do a lot of praying and we do a lot of mm-hmm. uh, even Bible reading. But do we do a lot of fasting? Do we do a lot of silence? Do we do a lot of meditation? Do we do a lot of celebration? Um, do we do lamenting and and actually looking at those things and seeing okay w- over time if you track this, what are the things we, what are our go to that we do all the time mm-hmm. maybe because it's easy safe comfortable familiar, mm-hmm. and what are the things that we need to do to actually stretch ourselves, so you know rather than just go to our absolute favorite, you know like my kids they always want their favorite food they want you know their taco salad or their noodles or whatever. But sometimes we got to go and put Brussels sprouts on their plate Mm -hmm. because they might not even like it, but they need it, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so we want to think not just in a eat your vegetables kind of a way about our services, Mm -hmm. but we want to make sure we're not just going for cake and and, uh, ice cream either. Right. And and becoming spiritually malnourished. Because the point isn't, to create experiences that people joy enjoy every week. The point is to no. get a greater picture of who God is. 
And right. so if we go three years without ever talking about, you know, God is a just God or even God is a wrathful God. I don't know when the last Sunday we focused people on God's wrath. wrath. I can't people, wait for that people one. People love the wrath one. Yeah. We do a lot of that around here. Or the patience of God. Yeah. You know, could we learn something from the patience of God that, that pulses in Romans, I believe, leads us to repentance? Yeah. You know, there's a revelation and response verse right there, but... How many of us have repented because we've thought we've thought about how patient God is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so there's there's so many things we could lean into uh, to think about that we often don't just because no one no one has written a big hit song about it. Yeah, or it you know it doesn't come up in my personal prayer life. Yeah. So we actually do, try not to start with us. Although, I mean, I want to balance that comment out by saying. We don't just do things that aren't personal to us. We we try very hard to make sure that we personally are leaning into mm-hmm. these experiences mm-hmm. before we're trying to lead other people in them. And so we try to make sure that, I mean, the contrast is the many pastors, they do this, and this isn't bad, but many pastors that I've even know well and like a lot, you know, their sermon on Sunday is going to basically be the overflow of their personal devotional mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. This is what I was reading this week. I'm going to share it with you. Yeah. And there's a lot of integrity to that. There's a lot of personal um, honesty and that's uh, not just hypothetical or, you know, I'm not going to talk to you about something I'm not personally learning about. There's value in that, but we just don't want to limit our community yeah. to the spiritual experiences of the handful of people who design the services. Yeah. And if our community's experience is contingent on my own personal devotion. We're not in good shape. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is true of all of us. We started by talking about whether or not we were successful in what we tried to do on a Sunday. You walk off stage, you have a reaction one way or the other, and we look backwards and try and measure what just happened. How has that changed since we've introduced worship goals into our thinking? Yeah, well, one of the things that we do as a team, as we evaluate now, is we've changed the questions we ask. We don't ask, how was Sunday? We don't ask, what did you hear? I mean, we do still ask those questions, but uh, we don't really camp out on feedback like, I liked it, I didn't like it, that was cool, whatever. The question we ask is, so if 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 a worship goal was... Because God has forgiven us, we're going to love and forgive our enemies or those who've hurt us. If that's a worship goal for morning, the question we ask is, have we heard any stories of people actually doing the work of forgiveness? Mm-hmm. Do, do we? So we, the language we use is we call it feedback related to the goal. Um, so we're happy to get all feedback. I really like that song, whatever. But the really important feedback we ask is the feedback related to our worship goal. Mm-hmm. Did... Did some do? Did we get feedback? Hear stories of people? Did we sense that people responded to to what they saw about God on Sunday? Mm-hmm. And that's I think made the conversation much better. There are times we don't know. Um, I will say that if you're ever providing feedback, when you provide, uh, I mean, we always love hearing feedback, um, especially from people who have an inside track on what we're trying to do. Um, that was cool. I liked it. Those things are nice, but they don't really help much. Feedback on that challenged me to think about this in my life, or I'm going to start doing this now. Mm. 
is uh, is far more helpful and what we're actually trying to aim for. Right. Because that's really the goal of what we're actually trying to do is making spiritual progress in people's hearts and, and lives. Right. And so what we're doing on Sunday is important, not just to create moments that people enjoy or even moments that potentially spill out into, you know, the way they live out their spirit spirituality through the rest of the week, but to actually gain a better picture of who God is and allow him to to change us through the activities that we regularly engage in. And I mm-hmm. think the clearer that we can be about that, um, the greater chance we have of that actually happening. And I find personally those um those stories to be much more compelling rather than just Hey, I liked that, or that was great. Yeah, I love I love what you're saying, and actually, it's making me wonder. <laughs> it's actually making me have this feeling about this imagine this scenario that you're recalling of walking off stage from a time of worship and someone saying, you know, whether it was asking whether it's good or not. The answer almost is we'll see, because because of the paradigm that this is a spiritual gymnasium that's meant to impact the other 167 hours of your week. What we do is meant to form us in who we are all the time, not just to be a good time together. So in a lot of ways, we find out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, if it worked. I've been involved in worship leading in some capacity since I was 12 or 13, and although I feel like I've been doing this for a really, really long time, I'll be the first to admit that there are Sundays where I walk off that stage, and I have no idea whether or not anything I did had any lasting impact on anyone. When I feel that way, however, I'm continually, time and time again, encouraged and reminded of the fact that it's not me, it's not you that makes spiritual progress in the hearts and lives of people. It's only the power of Christ in me and the power of Christ in you that can do that. And I don't know about you, but for me, that takes a weight of responsibility off my shoulders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope that it got you thinking, and I would love to hear what those thoughts are. So please, please, please reach out to me or post on the wall of our Facebook group. We would love to hear from you and love to hear how this episode has landed with you. That's all for today. We'll see you next time.